everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Crushing It in Construction podcast. My name is Jordan Skinner. I am your host, and this week I'm speaking with Dawn Watt. Dawn has a really interesting journey. She is originally from Canada. She moved to Newcastle just over 20 years ago, and she is now the CEO of Coffee Testing. But she never actually intended on becoming a CEO until a friend told her that all of her attributes, all of the things that make her her would really be suited to completing an MBA. It was during this time that she discovered her real passion for people and for management. Um, And coffee testing has a really good track record for promoting its employees through the ranks. And in this episode, Dawn shares with us how they've been able to make that so successful and what you can do within your company to help the people that you promote be as successful as possible in their new position. So I really think you're going to get some valuable information out of this episode. Let's get into the show. G'day, Dawn. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. How are you? I'm well, Jordan. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Not bad. So for everybody that doesn't know you yet, I'm sure they'll get to know you throughout this podcast, but could you just introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, certainly. Thanks. So my name is Dawn Watt. I'm the CEO of Coffee Testing. Coffee Testing, um, we provide independent verification of results on materials that are used in the construction industry, just ensuring that the parameters of those particular materials used for that particular project will uh, pass, as we say, uh, so that the road or the building or any materials being used don't fail. Cool. So tell us a little bit about coffee testing. How, how big is the company and how long has it been going? So coffee testing started under the name of David Coffee in 1958. It was uh, Coffee International at the time, but they did have a small testing lab in Sydney. Uh, in 20, 2008, 2008 was the year that it became coffee testing and actually separated out from Coffee International and had its own CEO and management team. Uh, We have now got approximately 250 employees with, I think, 25 locations, about 12 permanent locations and about 13 project labs around the country. And in 2019, uh, we did a management buyout, uh, meaning that we're we're no longer with the coffee company that is the Geotech Environments business that was purchased by Tetra Tech, an American company in 2016. Okay, awesome. So how was it that you came to, well, firstly, be in Australia and two, how, how did you actually get inver- uh, involved with coffee itself and, and become the CEO? Yeah, so I, back in Canada, so I'm Canadian originally, um, I was really interesting in being outside, being in around the environment. And I thought one of the ways I wanted to do that was to be in surveying. So I did a civ tech, so civil engineering technology advanced diploma in Canada. And there was three surveying courses over those two years, and I did not like it at all. But one of the things that I really found was uh, enjoyment in the courses that talked about soft soils, aggregates, reinforced concrete. So I started working for a company called Jake's Whitford, which was a Canada-wide company, and I was a soil lab tech as well as a concrete field tech. At that time, I um, decided to move back to Edmonton to where my family was. And started working for another company called Thurber, and I met um, an Australian man, and we got married, and, and I moved out to Australia. And it was after the birth of our second child, 
He was working for coffee as a geotechnical engineer, and he was aware that the lab was looking for an individual to take over the clean lab space, working with Atterberg's decants. And I also did a bit of drafting in Canada. I learned how to do that in my advanced diploma, and they were looking for a drafts person in the geotech business. So I worked 50% in the lab and 50% as a drafts person. Okay, awesome. So obviously you didn't start out as CEO, but was, was becoming CEO of a company um, something that you're always interested in? I did not know that. No. When I was a lab manager, well, the clean lab manager, I guess you could say, I was thinking to myself, I want more. And I was tossing up, does more mean being an engineer or does more mean leaving the industry? I didn't see a career path at the time in the space that I was working in. And I had a friend say to me, Don, I've seen how you operate outside of work. I've seen how you operate um, in your personal life with your ice hockey commitments and things like that. And you should do an MBA. You really should do an MBA. I think that's your skill set. I think managing is your skill set. And I had, I don't even think I'd heard of an MBA at the time. So I, I researched it and decided to do a, a degree at the University of Newcastle in the evenings and finished that after two years and realized, yes, this is what I have an affinity for. I did not ever expect to be back at coffee testing. As I mentioned before, they, they weren't their own entity. But in 2008, which coincided exactly with me getting my MBA and graduating with my MBA, um, they split out and were looking for that management team. So I took my skill sets as a lab technician and my skill set now with an MBA and a manager, put them together and, and, and came back to coffee. Yeah. So, um, I think the way I stumbled across you was actually on LinkedIn. You're quite active there with posting articles about leadership and, um, all things to do with management. But one of the things that you mentioned that pricked my ears up when we were chatting last was that a large portion of everybody within coffee testing has been pr promoted within the company. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, why this has worked so well for coffee and how it's been so successful? Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think, I think the answer to that's probably twofold. So from the first point of view, you've got the, the technical and efficiency space. So individuals that already work for you know your systems. They know your processes. They know your clients. You have a reduced cost for training them. They fit right in. They know everybody. You have an existing relationship with them generally um, as a leader. And the second aspect of that would be the relationships that that individual has with their peers. That can be fraught with danger, but I find it's, it's actually more positive than negative because staff see that career paths exist. Staff see that as employers, we value them and we want to see them succeed. Um, they see that our success, we're saying that our success is built on our existing staff by promoting from within. Like if you had the choice, I suppose, is promoting internally something that you would, you would pick every day over hiring, you know, somebody in for a specific job externally? Yes, I do believe that um, we have found the most success in recruiting from within. Uh, we generally find that the best candidates are always already in the business, but I will say that I always put an ad out. I always look externally. 
Um, it's very important to, to interview outside of your space. A lot of times, particularly a, a company like ours, which, which has been homegrown, which, which is relatively small with only 250 staff, you, you may think you're doing everything right. And it wouldn't be the best business practice to never look externally, never see what other competitors are doing, see what their lab managers are doing, see what their senior staff are doing, um, and, and hearing about it in an interview space. Because if the best candidate is sitting there externally, then you want to make sure that you always have the best candidates in your business. But I have done both. We have brought in external, we have promoted from within, and, and due to our great success from promoting within, that does tend to be our fallback. Yeah. So one of my experiences is, um, as I mentioned to you before, I come from the civil contracting space, but I've seen this happen both successfully and pretty unsuccessfully as well. So when somebody typically gets a promotion from within the company, it can really change the dynamic that that person has with, you know, their peers and who they've been working with. And it can get quite awkward. What have you guys done to help make that transition as successful as possible for the people that you're promoting? So I personally have had this happen to me four times at coffee testing between 2013, roughly, and 2019 when we did the management buyout. Every time that I had to become the leader of one of my peers, I learned a new method for how to deal with it. Not everyone's going to react the same. Um, at, at one time, the first time was only one person. It was one peer that I became the manager of. And then I think two or three times later, um, it was 25 people roughly that, that were my peer that I was now the manager of. And every time you have to do things differently. And when I learned each of those methods, it's very important to me that I take any new promotees through the journey that I went on to explain the pitfalls, to ensure a smooth transaction. Um, so that's the first thing I do is, is I take them through my journey. Um, the second thing that I do, I'm a big believer in reading. So many of the new promotees, particularly the ones that are going to be reporting to me, I gift books to them. I, I gift books that um, I found have been easy to read and help through that transition point. Um, Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team is absolutely fantastic book, and I recommend it to anyone to to that's in this space that wants to make sure a smooth transition with a new team and in, and a new boss. So in the civil contracting companies that we worked with, there was some really great people that were on the ground. We gave them that promotion and in hindsight, there maybe wasn't enough um, coaching on how to deal with those relationships once you were promoted, but some people could, could deal with that transition and maybe take a little bit of flack do you think there's certain attributes in a person that make it more achievable than others, maybe? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think... To a certain extent, you know, a little bit of arrogance goes a long way, not to not to care. That's probably not the right word, but just a little bit of a, a thick skin to say, well, no, I, I've got to get this job done. And yeah, am I getting my point across there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of answered your own question there. Um, about the thick skin. So I honestly believe that, that everyone can pull it off, but yeah. they, they can't do it on their own. They have to be guided. And with the right guidance, you can take people that might not have those attributes. The attributes certainly help. And so I think what we're talking about actually here is the length of time of successful transition. 
And the people with the right attributes will certainly shorten that length of time. Um, Those attributes include being confident that you deserve the role. That is probably the biggest hurdle I have ever had to get the new promotees over is you're here for a reason. You are seen as the best candidate for this role. You deserve this role. And the amount of people that come into my office, sit down and say, I'm not sure that I deserve this role. Once you get that into your your hearts and into your brain that you do deserve this role, I think you can go out there more confidently and stand behind your peers. Oftentimes, many of them are friends and be able to say the relationship is going to change. But I'm here for a reason and I need to do the job correctly. And when you get that through to people, um, it really does shorten that transition time to, to be successful in the space. Yeah. And you and I spoke about this the last time we, we talked, but do you find, uh, and cause you've had experience overseas before you come over here, but do you find that the tall poppy syndrome maybe makes this sometimes harder than it needs to be as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, I have lived in Australia for over 20 years now. Um, so, so roughly 30 in Canada and 20 here. And it is a different dynamic in the Australian workspace that it, it took me several years to understand. When I first moved here, I, it's not a Canadian attribute. I, I don't think um, this, what, what you say, tall poppy syndrome. It certainly is, uh, it does make it harder, I think, to promote from within because of that, that sense that, well, you're not really better than, than me. You're not that much better. You know, don't, don't put yourself up on a pedestal just because you've got this job. And that's why yeah. I take you back to, to the previous question that you asked. It is very important to, to get it through to your promotee. They deserve that job, particularly if it was a very close race with another close peer for that position. Oftentimes you'll sit, you're promoting within and there's a clear candidate. That is a lot easier than when you're looking at two candidates that there's only a small margin between them and why you've picked one over the other. That, that takes a lot longer. And with tall poppy syndrome, that does sometimes tend to make it even more difficult to get that transition right. And, and I suppose they go from feeling maybe more part of a team to maybe feeling a little bit more isolated because they've gone from the group that they were just in to, you know, even if this isn't the way they feel, but from the group's perspective, they've, they're seen to be not in the group anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so important that they the new promotees are made to feel part of their new team very quickly, whether that is a, a quick management meeting, whether it's a dinner out with the new team, giving them that new team, because they are going to have to mourn the loss of the relationship with the other team. And you do need to fill that with the relationship with the new team. Yeah. And that confidence piece that you um, touched on to me is really, really stuck in my mind because I know of, of examples of guys that are brilliant at what they do. They're very good. They're, they're calm. They're calculated. They're, you know, they're not nasty to anybody. They don't have an ego. They've got this promotion. Um, and it's just not for them. It has 100% come down to confidence. They're not confident telling somebody what to do. They're not confident in their decision. So it's just, yeah, very interesting that you said that. But if a business owner is promoting within, what, what signs can they be looking for once they've done it to, to tell them that it's either working well or, or there's room for improvement or it's not working so well? Okay. Uh, well, I think the usual cultural signs that indicate the health of a business. So, so has productivity remained the same? 
was there no decrease in productivity of the team that that person has left or that person is now in charge of? Is there any signs of negative company politics? Um, has the employer brand gone up in the marketplace, which we actually do find when someone's promoted from within, um, that when we announce it on social media, the congratulations that come from around the country and from current employees and ex-employees and clients is, is very, very good for the brand. Um, I guess a disgruntled employee that, as I mentioned, may have been the second choice, causing unsettling behavior in the group, that has to be uh, jumped on right away. If that's what jumped on right away, then, then you will see failure. So how quickly any negative behaviors are, are squashed and everyone moves on, gets on with the job is a very good indicator whether it's going well or not. How have you found um, the best way to, to deal with maybe if it's a close race for a promotion and, and one person gets it over another, how do you soften the blow or, or make that person that didn't get the promotion maybe see the reasoning behind why it didn't happen and, and make them, I suppose, not feel good about it, but, but feel better about it? So I'm, I'm a very big believer in, in not sugarcoating anything. So there would be a reason, whether it is a failing of the person that didn't get the job or a attribute of the person that did, you need to explain the reason and you have to be honest and you have to be fair. Now, if it is something that you can help, then I would immediately be offering the person that didn't get the job um, ways to fill that skill set gap. Um, if it's a personality thing, do we, do we get them a coach? Do we put them in a course? Um, don't have that individual believing they can never get to that point because they've got a skill set that's missing. Help them, help them feel that skill set. Even if it's going to cost you money to put them in there, what you're going to have is a high-performing employee, and they're likely high-performing because they just narrowly missed out on the promotion. You can have them feeling that you do care and you are wanting to ensure their success by making sure that you explain the gap and what are you going to do to help them fill that gap. That's great. So... What if somebody's listening to this and they've tried promoting from within before and it maybe hasn't gone according to plan? What can they do to sort of make sure that it's it's better the next next time around? What's step number one that they can take to make sure that promoting from within is going to be as successful as possible? I think step number one would have to be a meeting with the team that this individual is now going to be in charge of. Uh, you know, for example, if, if it was a group of five and one of them's now going to be promoted into a leadership role, a meeting with the actual team once the decision's been made uh, is absolutely critical. Uh, talk to the promotee beforehand, as I mentioned before, explaining the pitfalls, explaining how relationships can change, how, you know, what to prepare for, how to have an open door policy. But uh, that meeting with their team to explain the decision and reasoning behind the promotion is critical. Just throwing a promotion out by email and having that person leave the team and go sit in an office um, is, is going to cause a lot of chatter. Um, there's a very famous saying, when the eagles are silent, the parrots will begin to chatter. And it's so important that the leaders of the company take time to sit down and explain the reasons for decisions so that false reasons aren't made up in the background. So, so that would definitely be step number one. Step number two if, is external training and coaching. 
I'm a very big believer in that. I, I personally have an external coach that I've found to be hugely beneficial over the last couple of years. They just provide a different viewpoint. And I mentioned before, we don't want groupthink. We don't want to always think that from, and, and promoting within can be a pitfall of that groupthink. So having an external coach provided for the individual to help them transition is very important. Yeah, actually on the last episode, I was talking to Philip Byram from Orion Consulting and he invests very heavily in leadership coaching for all his, his senior staff. And he just said, it really is just having, you know, thoughts and beliefs challenged by somebody that, that isn't in the business and just giving that external perspective is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has all been amazing. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think would really benefit the audience today? Um, I, I think it's around, there's probably a piece around the promoter and their role in this space. So I've, I've bounced out around about needing to have a meeting with the other team and, and, and getting external coaches and, and giving them books. But I think it's critical that everyone understands that the success of the promoted employee is, is, is as much on the boss or the promoter, maybe even more than it is on the employee or the promotee. So you have to have an open door policy to that person you've just promoted. You have to have regular catch up once, twice a week for, for six months, I would say. Um, really making sure that individual is um, happy with their choice to take the job. You have to remember that we've discussed that there are attributes in individuals that um, make them easier to transition. And, and one of the things that people assume is everyone's happy to be promoted. And, and sometimes you're needing to promote because you've just had a, a gap or a, a loss of an employee and uh, you're pushing someone into a space that they might not be actually ever have thinking that that's where they were going to end up. It, it might have been a surprise to them that they were going to be promoted. It might actually have not been something that was on their radar and throwing them into that promotion and then just leaving them to sink or swim is, is going to be a recipe for failure. Absolutely. So regular catch-ups, it is on the promoter, the boss, to make sure that that person doesn't fail. Absolutely. It's, um, I suppose it all just comes down to having really clear communication, doesn't it? Absolutely. I always like to finish these episodes off with a little bit of a left of field question, but what is a weird or interesting thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, geez. Most people don't know about me. Well, most people on this podcast wouldn't know that um, I, I coach and play and, and referee ice hockey, which in Australia is a very strange thing to a lot of people. I've lived in Newcastle for 21 years. The rink has been around for 22. And I still, once every few weeks, get, oh, I didn't know there was an ice rink in Newcastle. And Newcastle is not that big of a place. So to not know that there was an ice rink, it just shows you, obviously, it's not a very popular sport. But I'm also the um, head of operations and acting commissioner for the National Men's League, the Australian Ice Hockey League. So I'm heavily involved in that space. And um, being Canadian, it's, it's given me a little bit of home. Yeah, I've always loved ice hockey and Mighty Ducks was one of my favorite, uh, favorite movies growing up, but they don't have many ice rinks in, in Wallaroo in South Australia. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm going to have to get my butt down to Adelaide. You said there's a rink down there and they have a team. So I'll best, best get down there and give it a go. That's right. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. I think the audience are really going to learn something from what you've shared with us today. Where can people connect with you, learn more about you and learn more about coffee testing? Oh, LinkedIn and Facebook. Absolutely. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, as, as you've said. And um, if anybody wants to message me in that space, 
And then Coffee Testing does have a LinkedIn page where we put a lot of our stuff on Facebook as well. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time. Um, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Jordan. You too. I really appreciate you asking me on the show. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.